Welcome to Black and Proud, a weekly podcast that sets out to educate, enlighten, and entertain you by sharing stories about the black race. Raging from politics to sports, pop culture to modern history, these stories will tell of perseverance and resilience, tragedy and heartache, bravery, triumph, and overcoming. I'm your host, Anthony McNeil, and I welcome you to share this journey with me as I explore what it truly means to be black and proud. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the first episode of Black and Proud. Once again, I am your host, Anthony McNeil, and I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. Before I get to today's topic about Lloyds of London and the part they played in the slavery trade, I have a favor to ask of you. If you learn one thing from this podcast, I ask that you please share that information with at least one person. Because that's how this podcast came about. I heard something that I did not know. And I thought to myself, how many other people are not aware of this topic? So I decided to share not with just one, but with the masses. And I'm asking you to do the same. But I'm asking you to just share whatever new information you learn from this podcast with at least one other person. Now, let's go ahead and get into today's topic about Lloyds of London and their role in the transatlantic slave trade. If you don't know what Lloyds of London is, it's a vast marketplace in the UK that is made up of all of these different insurance companies and brokers and individuals, and they all come together to kind of limit their risk as this big marketplace. And Lloyds is a corporation, I guess you can call it, that that oversees the whole marketplace. And before, in order to understand Lloyd's role in the transatlantic slave trade, we have to look at Britain's history with slavery as a whole. And it all starts with this dude by the name of John Hawkins, who was a English Navy commander and a minister. And in 1554, this dude Mr. Hawkins started this trading syndicate, which was made up of all these wealthy merchants. And although he was the first, although he was one of the first, he was not the first because there were other Englishmen that had taken slaves from Africa by the mid 15th century. But Mr. Hawkins made it, he set up this system that made it effective. He set up an, an, an effective pattern that became known as the English slave trade triangle. And between 1562 and 1567, Mr. Hawkins gathered up some of his boys and they got on like six or seven ships. And they made this journey through what is called the Middle Passage. It was called that because it was the middle leg of a three part voyage, a voyage that began and ended in Europe. The first leg of this voyage, they carried cargo, often containing things such as iron and cloth and brandy and firearms and the such. And they would take those items to Africa, to the west coast of Africa, which was eventually known as the Slave Coast. And all of that cargo that they had taken from the UK to Africa, they would exchange that for African slaves. Now, these slaves, they were taken from the inland and brought over to the West Coast. 
where they were put in these dungeons and they were held there for weeks on time until these ships arrived to then take them on to the next leg of this this three-leg voyage. <laughs> Think about this for a second. Here you are, this African person in your village, going about your daily activities, and all of a sudden you see this group of angry white men with guns coming at you and your family and they start gathering you up and killing you and hitting and assaulting and injuring and doing all these things to you. And you have no idea what's going on. You've heard about other people being taken, but now it's happening to you. And they chain you and all of your family and friends together, travel you across the country over to the West Coast, stick you in a dungeon. And it's hot. You're chained in there with other people. You're probably hungry, tired, injured. And you're there for weeks on time. Waiting for these ships to come. And then once these ships finally arrive. You're then stuffed. In the bottom of these boats. These wooden boats. That had to be hot as hell. With all of these other people. That look like you. You're all afraid. Frightened. Not knowing what's ahead of this journey that you're on. Unvoluntarily. And next thing you know you're in this land. That you have no knowledge of. No idea where you're at. You're separated from your your friends and family. Just think about that for a second. How many people. Could honestly handle something like that. You know, when I when I think about that, I think about people like Nat Turner and how he came about. And when you really stop and and really think about it, yeah, I could see myself becoming a Nat Turner if I was back in those days. I might have died, but I promise you I would have taken a few people out with me because I don't think I could have lived under those under those conditions. But once they packed these people on these ships, they would then set out, like I said, for the next leg of this voyage, which was to the Americas, as they call it, North and South America and the Caribbean islands, which were, there were British colonies set up and plantations that these slaves from Africa were sold at. And on his first trip, Mr. Hawkins decided to hijack a Portuguese slave ship that had about 300 slaves on it. And he took those slaves, as I said, over to a Spanish colony called um, Santo Domingo, where there were British colonies set up and he sold those slaves or exchanged those slaves to other plantation owners there. And on his second trip, he and his crew took a trip to Africa, Sierra Leone, where they violently captured about 400 Africans. And then they again made that journey to a country, well, what is now known as the country of Colombia, where those Africans were sold. And on his last trip, I guess he figured it was too much trouble having to capture and and, and kill 
the slaves himself, so he just decided to buy some slaves while he was in Africa. He then took those slaves over to the Americas and to the Caribbeans, and he sold them all for a profit. I guess it's easier that way than having to go out and to actually track all these people down yourself. Now, the triangle trade, this triangle trade of slaves and rum and sugar and textiles and all these products that they were moving back and forth between the Caribbeans, Africa, Europe, and the Americas. By the 18th century, the slave trade had become pretty much an economic mainstay for cities such as Bristol, Liverpool, Glasgow, and the Brits, along with Portugal, they accounted for roughly 70% of all the slaves transported to America, to the Americas. And between 1640 and 1807, the British transported approximately 3.1 million African slaves between all those colonies in the Americas and in the Caribbeans. But the fucked up thing about it out of those 3.1 Africans it's estimated that 2.7 or approximately 2.7 actually made the trip the others perished or were killed along the way and that loss of cargo created a problem for these ship owners and these people that were gathering up all of these slaves because it was costing them money and they were losing money as a result of these people passing and losing what they called their cargo. And around 1686, uh, in the city of London, over on Tower Street, there was this guy by the name of Edward Lloyd. Mr. Lloyd owned a coffee shop that was frequent by a bunch of different merchants, ship owners, underwriters, and the like. And inside this coffee shop, they would often discuss things such as maritime insurance, ship brokering, foreign trade, and all kind of other dealings. And all of this activity that was going on inside of this coffee shop eventually became what is known as Lloyd's of London or the Lloyd's Insurance Marketplace. And Lloyd started hearing all the stories about all of these ship owners being upset because they were losing their quote cargo, the African slaves who were dying and drowning and, and such, and it was costing them money. So he decided to start offering these ship owners ship insurance for their cargo. Yeah. He was basically calling these human beings cargo and he would sell insurance for them. They got to the point where Mr. Lloyd basically monopolized the, the, the market there for maritime insurance related to the slave trade. And he did that until about the 19th century. And Britain, in the beginning, they, were, they did not want to go along with this whole slave trade thing. But the queen saw how prosperous this was. And she kind of gave, gave, you know, this whole thing, the, her blessings. But along 1833, somewhere in there, Britain decided that, you know, they no longer wanted to have anything to do with slavery. They, all of a sudden, they got this morale issue going on. 
and they came up with this thing called the Slavery Abolish Act of 1833. Well, they say that slavery was abolished, but it really wasn't. What this act did was it freed about 800,000 slaves. At the time, there were about 46,000 slave owners throughout all the British colonies on all these different continents in all these different locations. And when this act of 1833 came out saying that you could no longer own slaves, all these slave owners became upset because they wanted to be compensated for their loss of their property. And the British government at the time said, okay, since you guys lost all of, you know, you're taking this hit, we'll compensate you and give you 20 million pounds. Now, think about this for a second. 20 million pounds in today's U.S. dollar is about $27 million. 20 million pounds from back in 1833 compared to the day is a lot of money. And this is how Lloyd's of London became a part of the whole transatlantic slave trade. Because Mr. Lloyd himself started basically insuring human beings on these ships. And one of the, the founding members, if you will, of the, 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 the Lloyds of London marketplace was this dude by the name of Simon Fraser. He was a founding member of one of the syndicates, um, and he owned at least 162 slaves at the time. And when he passed, his heirs were compensated for all those slaves that he had lost, which at the time they were compensated $400,000. Again, in today's U.S. dollars, that's about almost $600,000. So 400,000 pounds from back then to now. Yeah, again, we're talking millions and millions of dollars that his heirs were compensated in today's money as a result of his role in the slave trade. Now, the funny thing about this act, it said that they abolished slavery, but they didn't. There was a clause in the act that said that for 45 hours a week, slaves had to work unpaid labor each week to their former slave owners, and this lasted for four years before they were truly liberated. And that's Lloyd's. And Lloyd's wasn't the only company that benefited from that big payout. There were other companies whose founders, heirs had benefit as a result of that 20 million pounds that that were dispersed by the British government. And in 20, in July of 2020, when the whole George Floyd thing happened up in Minnesota and all the protests started, the rapper T.I. Uh, wrote to Lloyd's of London asking for reparation for their part in the whole slave trade. Now, to Lloyd's credit, they did acknowledge its ties to the slave trade and they pledged to to make amends, which included rec- recruiting more black employees and providing financial support to, to charities that promote diversity and inclusion. But T.I. had a more specific list of demands that he wanted Lloyd's to address. And his list of demands basically included these four things. One, 
He wanted 10% ownership of Lloyd's to be given to all of the descendants of African slaves. He also wanted an accurate annual tracking of those reparations to those descendants. The third thing he wanted was a $1 million cash loan with 1% interest to every African-American adult once in their lifetime for the next 200 years. And the last thing he asked for was that a African-American member be added to the board of Lloyd's in London. Now, as far as I know, Lloyd's has not agreed to do any of that. They did post on their website five things that they were looking to implement by the second quarter of 2021. And all of these things to me are the typical things that big corporations do when situations that make them look bad come about. And that includes investing in programs and retaining black and minority talent, um, you know, reviewing employee and partner policies to make sure that they are not racist, education and research and blah, blah, blah. These are all things they should have been doing anyway. This is nothing new. These are all things that they should have been doing anyway. So will they give in to T.I.'s demands? I doubt it. Like most corporations, they're probably just hoping that this all blows over and in time it just goes away. But that's just my opinion. I don't know. Maybe Lloyd's will have a conscience and they will do something a little bit more than just the typical things that corporations do. That's my opinion. I would love to hear what you think about this. Please send me an email at anthony at blackandproud.co and share your thoughts. I'd like to hear what you say, what you think. Also, if again, if you got anything out of this, please share that information with at least one other person. And the last thing, if you could please do me a favor, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to it on so that you don't miss a future episode when they come out. All right. Take care. Bye.